I want to first encourage you. There, there's a great feeling of disconnect today. What that means is, is uh, we're not kind of all on the same page. But that's okay because today we're going to talk about community, and community is all about being uh, in common. Now, what it doesn't mean is that we're all the same. Praise God for that. Because some of you like NASCAR, and I don't care too much for NASCAR. I like the 49ers, and a lot of you don't like the 49ers. If we had to be the same, life would get very boring. But community is, is not just a desired effect of the church. Community is the church. And so we're going to talk about what community is so that we as a church will continue to uh, progress and get to a place where we are all on the same page. If I were to ask you all what I think or what you think should be done at the church or in the church in general across the world and our, our globe, I'd probably get for every person here, I'd get a different answer. Because we all view Jesus through the lens of our life. We see him in a specific way based on a lot of our experiences. And I'm not here to say that's right or wrong as long as we know the truth about Jesus. For some of you, as I preach about you know, God being a good father, you struggle with that because you didn't have a great example of what a good father should be. I tell you about Jesus being a friend, and you and you are very lonely and have never had more than just a handful of friends. So the idea of Jesus being a friend is is almost foreign to you, because you're seeing it through the lens of your um, the lens of your life. Some of you, I say community, and it sounds like something to be desired, yet you have no idea how to be a part of it. And sometimes you feel like. There's this glass bubble around the church, and you're always on the outside, and there's people on the inside. You want to be in there, but you can't get there, and, and you don't know what's wrong, and maybe I need a new church, or maybe I'm not doing this right, or maybe the church is full of hypocrites, and, and all these excuses run through your mind. And so I'm here today to answer a question in our, in our Ask Your Pastor series all about community. Community is vital. Community is essential. Community is biblical and Community is needed for us to succeed as Christians. Let me ask you this question. How many people here grew up with siblings? Brothers, sisters, me too. I have a lot of brothers and sisters, blended family, but I grew up with two sisters and a brother, all younger than me. Um, I'm older than my, my youngest sibling by about 15 years. And so we grew up together, and I love them. But... Growing up, we fought. Not so much me and my younger brother, because I was so much older than him. It was more of me just picking on him, and he just had to take it because he was five and I was 20. But with my younger sister, who was only five years younger than me, we would bicker. Anybody here, is it only me, or did you bicker with your siblings as well? Whether they were older than you, younger than you, brother or sister, they always did something to just irk you or to get on your nerves and i'm sure you did the same for them but at this stage in my life i look back upon those days and i see how they shaped and molded me even in in becoming a father as i see my own my own son and daughter interact and i see them play and i see them fight and bicker and i see them uh unite and just be together and coexist but but also have this love and affection for one another and this friendship and I see, even amongst my children or in my own family, a community within a bigger community. You know, this community of, of Ethan and Ellie inside the community of the Paredeses. That they have this relationship. They're connected and bonded. We are connected and bonded as well. Siblings and, and family in general is a great metaphor, a great leaping off point to explain what community is and what it should be. The Bible's clear that, that the church is, is, is less about a specific place than it is a, a body of believers. Our faith is very exclusive in that we don't have a holy site to go to. We don't make pilg pilgrimages every year. We're not commanded to go to a specific place at a certain time of the year to pay homage to our God. That, that to do so would be literally would be idol worship. We would begin to worship the place rather than the God that created the place. But rather than, than God giving us a holy place, he gives us holy people made holy by him, not holy in and of themselves, but made holy by him to connect to. And so the, the actual question is this, and I'll read it to you. 
why, what, and how important is continued and personal fellowship between believers? How often is enough? So much of what we do as Christians is based on tradition rather than commands. Meeting on a Sunday morning is based largely in part upon the apostles of the early church meeting on what we call the Lord's Day Sunday and having church that specific day. But there's no commands that that should be the only day that we worship or come together. And there's no commands that we can't do that on other days. There are churches that meet on Saturdays and Fridays. We have a midweek Bible study every week, 7 o'clock here at the chapel. Uh, We get together. It's not like that church time is not valid, that God's up in heaven saying, well, that's not Sunday. It doesn't count. No, that, that time of gathering is vital and important for any church. Um, so we're going to answer these. I, I praise God for the person who asked this question because they kind of just <clears throat> did a lot of the legwork for me. Why, how, what? Just answer those questions very easy. So what we're going to do is I'm going to share with you three scriptures Uh, There are certainly not just three scriptures, but the three that come to mind immediately when this question is asked of me about the importance of community. Now, what we have to be careful with here is community is one of the most most frequently used words in the church today. If you go to the bookstore, you go online, you listen to sermons, community is preached upon. It's just preached and preached and preached. It's taught. It's it's lifted up. It's it's considered uh vi- it's considered like the thing that a church might need. Some churches uh their great greatest strength is in their community groups, and they they disperse into community groups, and then on Sunday they come back together. They become sort of mini churches within a church. And I'm not here to say that that's bad. The warning is is that when we lift up any one particular practice. We set ourselves up for a fall because there are a multitude of ways in which to worship God. And a community group is a great way to do that. Is it the exclusive only way to do that? No. But can it be? Yes. And so we don't want to, we don't want to hang our coat solely on community groups. We don't want to make community groups our functional savior. Oh, if we only had a community group, if we only had a community, then things would surely change. Sure. Like anything else we've ever wanted over the last 20 or 30 years, that will change everything. What, what we need to do is to be focused on Jesus. As I'm focused, as you're focused, we will naturally gravitate towards one another, and, and the Holy Spirit will bring about community within us. So let me share with you the three scriptures that immediately come to mind when I think about community. The first is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Turn there. As you're turning there, I'll kind of set you up. Uh, the second chapter of the book of Acts, if you come from a Pentecostal background, it's like a Hall of Fame verse. It's the verse. You know where I'm going with this already because you've heard this verse so many times. If you don't know what Pentecostal means or have very little exposure to it, maybe you've heard this preached, but it's never had the importance uh, that some of us from a Pentecostal background uh, see it or, or, or the lens that we view it through. What has happened is in Acts chapter 2, um, well, let's go back to Acts chapter 1. Jesus has, has told his disciples to wait. Don't do anything. There's a day coming. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled with power. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. You're filled with power, and you're going to go out, and, and the church then is going to start. Like that's going to be the the grand opening. There's already been a soft opening. They've already kind of gathered together. There's about 120 believers just anxiously waiting. Jesus has ascended after his death and burial and resurrection. He's now ascended to be uh, with the Father. And here they are, these 120 people, the disciples among them, uh, waiting as Jesus has commanded them. Praise God that they waited. And sometimes God tells us to wait, just as a side note. And we need to wait. Just wait. And some of you don't like waiting because you're impatient. And I'm sorry about that. Go to the DMV and practice. Do something to help you, to hone you in your waiting skills. Because God will often tell us just to wait, to be still, to know that I am God. Not be still, here's what I'm about to do. Be still, know that I am God. 
And so they're waiting. And on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, where, where, where a multitude of people were making their pilgrimage to a holy site, <clears throat> were coming together, and it says the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Um, it uses this verbiage that it's hard to get our mind around, cloven tongues of fire. These split tongues of fire fell upon these men's heads, and they began to speak in tongues. Now, some of you, depending on your background, the idea of speaking in tongues, either it's like, yeah, speaking in tongues, or it's like, oh, here we go. Here's where he starts shaking weird, and he starts making me do things that I don't want to do, okay? <clears throat> speaking in tongues is a completely biblical thing that certainly has been distorted by the church or, or by people who are not technically in the church but look like the church, and we want to have a healthy view of it. We don't want to avoid it. And we don't want to exploit it. We want to understand it in its biblical context. In this biblical context, these men spoke in tongues, but they weren't the, the angelic uh, language that maybe you're more familiar with. These were, these were languages that people could understand. Because there were people coming from a multitude of nations, these tongues were spoken, and people from these nations heard their own dialect. They heard their own language. And, and, and so in this moment of Literally, it's chaos because nobody knows what's going on. Peter steps up. Peter is like before this moment, and even after this moment, but, but in this moment he gets to shine. But before this, he's kind of like the Homer Simpson of the Bible. Like he's just, he, he, he's got a good heart and he means well, but he's always saying don't, like he's always saying something that's getting him in trouble. He has moments of great confession before the Lord, but then he goes and says, well, I'll follow you anywhere, Lord. And Jesus, knowing what's going to happen, you're going to betray me before the rooster crows three times. Sure enough, he's questioned, and, and Peter denies that he ever even know, knew Jesus and, and betrays his close friend. God restores him. Jesus brings him back, and, and here he is, Peter, the man who bumbled through things, now stepping up, not because he's a great man, not because suddenly, oh, I get it, but because the Holy Spirit has come to fill him to do this. He begins to preach about Jesus. He preaches very specifically to a Jewish audience because they're primarily Jewish, not exclusively, but primarily begins to tell them about King David and the prophecies of the Messiah and, 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 and prophecies from the book of Joel and the Old Testament. And at the end of this, this sermon, the people, it says they're, they're cut to their heart. They're convicted. They're convicted of their sin. They're convicted of their betrayal and rejection of Jesus. And they cry out, what must we do? Peter says, repent, be baptized, and go. And so it says that in that moment, three 3,000 people came to know Jesus. They confessed their faith in his works, what he has done. They confessed that he was their Lord and Savior. They believed in his works for salvation and not their own. And the church, now numbered about 3,120 people, just exploded. Right after that, in verse 42, it says, And they, that is this group, this, this early baby church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread. Notice, day by day. We'll get to that in a minute. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Community is as much a thing as it is an action. Being a part of a community, being an active part of a community, is, is all about being a part of something, obviously, that's, that's, that's outside of you, coming into it, but then it's, it's, it's identified by what you're doing. So if you belong to a, a social group or you belong to uh, you know, a couple of you singing choirs and that sort of thing, as you are a part of that community, there are ways that you serve them and participate. But 
your identification in that group is largely based on what you do in that group by what you do. It's not just, I belong to this club and then I go sit down. You know, I joined a choir, but I never sing. You might have an affiliation, but you don't have the actions behind it. So I'm, I'm affiliated with this group, and then I go and I sing, and I practice, and, and we go to places, and that's how we, that's how we become a part of this community. This is, this is what this community does. The church is, uh, is a greater example of any other group that we can find on our planet. The church is the only group that's, that's a collection of some of the most opposite people on the face of the planet, yet God, by his just his power and power alone brings us together many of us would not even know each other if it wasn't for this church we don't we don't work together we weren't friends before church we're not related uh by blood or by marriage so so the chances of us meeting one another was was slim to none but because we're a part of this church we now are a part of the same family we're part of the same group we're part of the same community and so for this early church they were identified by who they professed, Jesus, and by their actions, what they did. They got together. They, they ate meals together. They prayed together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, if there were Bible studies, they went to Bible studies. If there were sermons or, or Sunday services, they went to that. If there were special services during the week, they went to that. If the church doors were open, they were there. They devoted themselves to the group, to the community, to the church. And short, in just a few chapters into the book of Acts, the church is going to disperse. Um, what seems like the church being separated and decaying is actually seed being spread, and the churches go, and new churches are planted and grown, and, and, and it extends from that original place. Jesus himself embraced and taught and lived community. In his three years of ministry, of earthly ministry, he, it starts with him calling these disciples to himself, Andrew and Peter and James and John and, 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 and the rest, <clears throat> excuse me, coming together. And for those three years, he would be with these men day in and day out. And the group would grow with disciples and it would fluctuate and it would, it would diminish as people betrayed and abandoned and, and the teaching got too hard. But, but primarily Jesus walked and talked and lived and ate with these 12 men until the day he was crucified, to the day that he was dead, to the day he was buried, to the day he was resurrected. And then after that went back to them. We get our greatest example of community from Jesus and what he did. That, that Jesus is, is desiring that we would come together in word and worship and prayer together. That there would be pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists and apostles. That there would be congregations who would come together and devote themselves to the church. We have things like, uh, uh, we call them Wednesday night dinners or Wednesday night suppers. We do them about once a month. For the, the only reason is because we want to get together and share a meal together. How many of you got together with your family this past week? You sat together. You talked together. You, you, you caught up about things. You, you talked. Maybe some of these people were people you haven't seen in a long time. Maybe they were friends that you got together with. We connect through things like meals. You sit down, you enjoy a meal, you start talking about what's going on in your life. It's a great connector. And so we get together and we share a meal with one another. It's a time of intimacy. Have you ever met a person who won't eat in front of you? They're too embarrassed. They, they're afraid of how you're going to view them because they understand that maybe not, they don't profess this, but part of the understanding is this is an intimate moment. Where, where I am letting down my guard a little bit as I, as I eat and nourish myself, and I don't want to be judged harshly or critiqued or anything. I want to keep this matter private. And while those people might be uh, you know, the minority, the truth is still there. The things like eating meals, praying together, these are things that, create, that aren't just creating intimacy, they're just intimate. To hold hands with one another. 
That's probably the only time I hold a hand with another man is when, when, when we pray together. And um, I do my best to block that out. And as soon as we're done, hand comes back. Because there's a five-second limit when it comes to touching other men's hands. Jesus gives us the example. The church naturally, this is, this is or I should say supernaturally, this was a desire given to them through the Holy Spirit. There's no command. Peter doesn't say, go and start a community group. Go and plant a congregation over there. The church explodes. They, they just know, we've got to be together. We, we are going to live with one another. The part that scares us is where it says we should, that they, sell, they sold their belongings to give to others. Some of you, you have a lot of stuff, and, and the idea of selling your stuff scares you. Let that be a red flag that, that maybe stuff has too much precedent in your life. That if something can't leave your hand without paying being involved, without there being somewhat of a, of, of a tiny tantrum in your heart, that this is my stuff, and I earn my stuff, and I want my stuff, that maybe you're holding on to it just a little bit too tightly. I'm not saying stuff is bad. I probably love stuff more than all of you. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll happily admit that. But I've had to learn that my stuff can be a gift, but can also be a burden. It can be a curse when I begin to worship it rather than the God who gives it. And so there are times where things got to go and they've got to go. Where the Lord, somebody has need of something and it's either you keep your stuff or they go without. And you think, I, I can't live with myself. This is, this is too much. I have to do this. And you get to a place where it turns from, well, I don't want God to be mad for, to me or mad at me. And it turns into, I want to do this because they're in need, because I love them and I don't want them to be without. When we brought the tags for the kids who don't have stuff, is Christmas about stuff? No, it's not about stuff. But we can show some kids that South Bay Chapel loves them by giving them some stuff, can't we? By giving them gifts, by showing and expressing that, hey, we care about you too. Does it take from us? Yeah. For some of you, you've got enough money to just buy. You could have bought everything in that bowl and not even blinked. Some of you, buying one thing out of that bucket, it's that or, you know, uh, we're going to be a little bit late on the phone bill. Or we're going we're gonna to go without a little bit extra groceries that maybe we're going to do. Or, or that money I was saving for that thing for me, I'm going to put that aside for a little bit. That's sacrifice. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. That's what the church is called upon to do. The part that impresses me, that always impresses me, and I always bring this up when I preach Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through the end, is that they weren't commanded to do this. Nobody told them, go sell all your stuff and give it away. They came together, and as they came together, somebody came and said, you know what, I have no food. And so the others who had food, they either sold something or got some food and gave it to them. Later on in the book of Acts, there's a man named Barnabas. He's going to sell a piece of land. I don't have any land, okay? Barnabas did, and somebody had a need, so he went and sold that land so that he could give to these people. He was so engulfed by the love of God that even the loss of a chunk of this earth meant nothing to him. Helping and loving and being an extension of Christ's love to another person meant everything. And so there is no command to do it necessarily. There certainly is, is commands to sacrificial giving. But to sell all your things and to live in poverty is not a command. But man, there are times where somebody needs something and it's going to call for a sacrifice on your part. And there will be great blessings in doing that knowing that you have cared for and loved someone else when maybe nobody else is loving them. So what is community? Community is just people coming together and loving Jesus more than anything else. You guys ever been to a landfill? My, 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 my great-great-grandfather, excuse me, my great-grandfather, you know, he was... He was famous amongst our family for going to landfills and finding things to refurbish and to bring back and then sell at a profit. Because there are things in landfills that can still be salvaged, but people just throw them away. And nothing has changed. If you go to a, if you go to a, a dump today or, or a, a landfill today, you will see stuff that people have thrown away simply because they have too much stuff. 
we we are a very blessed nation multitudes have just gathered for for one of the biggest church services of the year they call it black friday where they get up very early and they sacrifice their time and energy and patience so that they may may go and 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 get a you know a cheap tv i'm not judging too much i'm just saying that there's such devotion found there right and if we could have that kind of devotion for the community of the church, we'd see the church not just explode. It's not necessarily about growth in numbers. It's about growth in people. We'd see people come in here, and yes, they, they'd be broken, and yes, they would be wounded, and yes, they'd be going through trials, but they'd be standing triumphant in them, saying, you know what? I, I have all these things going on, but I'm still here to serve and to love and to give because I love my God that much. In essence, that is community. Christian community coming together underneath Jesus. Him being our God, we being his people. It's like dad and siblings. And yes, we fight. And yes, we disagree. And yes, we all want to be dad's favorite. And yes, we look at other people and say, hey, you did that for them, but you won't do it for me? Because that's what kids do. But in essence, even that is a great testimony to a community developing and blossoming and happening. How often should we get together? I say if the doors are open, you get to church. I say that if the church is doing something, you should be there, being a part of it. Just like in the same way as if your family's doing something, you want the family there to be a part of it. You don't have dinner and let you know little Johnny go off and be by himself. You go, hey, we're having dinner now. We sit over here. This is where we gather. This is where we have our food. How was your day? You converse. You talk. You share. How often? There is not often enough. But more than just being at the church when the doors are open, there's a great need and necessity for us as individuals to come together outside of the church that we would begin to develop relationships and friendships that transcend the walls of South Bay Chapel, that we would begin to, to strike up conversations with people. We might not share anything in common, but there might be one thing where we can get together. Talked about the moms group earlier. Some of these moms may not have anything in common except for the fact that they're moms, and they've got a lot of things to talk about as moms. Developing relationships outside of this church is just as vital as developing them inside. They work hand in hand, where we would be able to call upon each other outside of today or outside of Wednesday. I remember being a kid, it was always so weird to see a teacher out in the community. You guys ever have that? You see Mr. So-and-so at church, or excuse me, at school for six to eight hours a day. But then you see him in the supermarket like a normal person. It's like, whoa, I thought you slept at the church or at the house, or at the school. I thought that's where you lived. Uh, this is weird seeing you outside of this context, out of the, the normal proper context where I understand you. And even now as a pastor, some of the kids, I run into them in the community. They look at me with a double take like, wait, what are you doing here? I see you on Sundays and that's it. Some of you do the same. We see each other on Sundays or just Wednesdays and then that's it. Now, we can't force relationships. That's just awkward and weird. And there's enough awkward and weird to go around without us trying to make it, too. But getting to know folks, talking to them, conversing with them is vital outside of the church. The church gathering is more than just, than just us getting together on Sundays. It's us getting together, period. Whether we're getting together for dinner at somebody's house, whether we're going, you know, shopping with one another, where, whether we're just talking on the phone or Facebook or, or texting, uh, we, we, are, we are connected outside of these walls. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews doesn't say, don't neglect going to church. While I believe that this phrase or this, this sentence includes that, it's the neglecting of meeting together in general, 
all of the time. Don't, don't be a Christian who only comes to church on Sunday and then you're, and that sort of lives in a vacuum and the rest of your week's all for quote unquote you and you don't come back again until Sunday. And if they want you to do something at church, they'll do it on Sunday. You know, it, it's, 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 I want to be a part of the family, the living organism that is this local body of the church. Now, some of you, if I told you that we were going to switch Sunday service to Saturday only, it'd just freak you right out because you're so used to the tradition of meeting on Sunday. Or it'd freak you out if we, we switched Wednesday to Tuesday or Thursday because those two days, especially Wednesday, have become sort of the, the, the tent poles of the week. I'm here to tell you that every day should be a day, whether you're coming to this building or not, where you are dedicated to worshiping the Lord every day. That Jesus should, and now this is the ideal, this is what we're growing towards as your leader and as God being our Savior. There is a lot of grace for those who are growing and seeking and searching. But our ideal goal is that every day our focus is on Jesus. And there are going to be days where we do great at it, and there's going to be days where it's just awful. But our goal is to grow towards that. Our trajectory, our aim, is that we would daily focus upon Jesus. And that will include times where we're going to meet with folks who we're just getting to know. It's really hard to get to know somebody one hour a week. It really is. And so it takes time and dedication in the giving of yourself. And what scares us about this is the vulnerability of it all. The being open, the being raw with somebody new. You know, it's easy when you're at work, you, you got to do it. You got to meet these people because this is they're going to at least pay you at the end of the week to know these weirdo people that you just don't, you know, you never talk to. But you you're forced into this relationship with them. And eventually you develop friendships. You develop uh, maybe even more than friendship. You have you develop a, a really good friendship, people that you become friends with outside of work. And so we don't want to force it, but, but we certainly don't want to neglect it either. If there's a time where we can come together inside of the church, outside of the church, I would encourage you to commit yourself to that. Now, I'm not saying that to burden you. I'd hate for this to be, oh, I've got to go to church. I've got to quit my job because I work on Wednesdays. That's not what we're commanding here. Nobody's commanding you to do that. I will tell you this, though. Um, when I first became a minister, um, I was working two jobs, and I was working Wednesday nights, and I hated missing Wednesday night service. I just did. I hated missing Bible study. And so the first chance I got to get rid of that day of work, that night, because I'd work in the morning, and that didn't conflict. It was the nighttime time. I cut that out as soon as I could. Some of you, that's not an option. I understand that. But for some of you, there really is nothing else going on on Wednesday other than maybe you're just tired or it's been a long day. I understand that. And there's very few things on this earth that will refresh you like being in the Word with like-minded believers. And I would encourage you to be here on, on Wednesdays when we have our Bible study. But going back to Friday, Saturday, Sunday, all days are good for church. All days. If we had church every day of the week, then we'd have church every day of the week, and every day would be great. The early church, they met at the temple daily. They got up, they went to the temple, and they started talking about Jesus. They would preach to others and share Jesus, but they would just get together. Hey, what about this? Remember when Jesus said this? Re remember when I was on the Mount of Transfiguration, John? This is Peter. We were on the Mount of Transfiguration. We saw Jesus change. Like We saw him as he really is. Remember when remember when we fed the when he fed the, the multitudes? Remember the remember the Sermon on the Mount? What do you think he meant by that thing about lust and divorce and things like that? What do you what do you really think he meant? Well, I think he was pretty literal in what he was saying. And they just talked about things and they, they came together daily. Some of my best memories about church is just me being able to sit with my pastor and talk about things and him just letting me ask any question, no matter how profound, which was seldom, or how silly, most often, the question might be. And letting those, letting those questions and answers breed a whole new set of questions and answers. There are a few things on this earth that I would rather talk about 
let's put it this way. There's nothing on this earth I'd rather talk about. Everything else is a distant second. There are other things I would like to talk about too. But Jesus, if you sit down and say, Pastor, I have a question for you. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to buckle in. I'm going to get out my Bible. I'm going to do my best to answer that question. And my answer might be, I don't know. Because that's a good question and I've never heard it asked before. But I'll tell you what, I will pray and seek and I'll ask other people I know what they think and what they've heard and what they've been taught and what the Lord tells them. And we will answer your questions to the best of our ability. And I want you to, one of the main focuses of this whole ask your pastor thing is that you would be able to have the comfort or the, the, the peace to come to me and say, hey, pastor, I have a question. And I feel foolish, but I'm going to ask it anyways. And I will tell you, you're not foolish. Just ask your questions. And I will—I guarantee you, it will just blow my mind, whatever you ask. Very few questions. I, we started with why do, good thing, why do bad things happen to good people? And most of you would say, that's the big one. That's the hard one. For me, that was the easy one. I did that one first because it was easy. As we're getting farther, I kind of, I kind of took the coward's way out. I put all the hard ones at the end. I did all the easy ones first, and now I'm doing all the hard ones. Community is a hard one. But I, I love the challenge to be able to search and to read and to, to be ultimately to be able to preach and hopefully answer this question the best that we can, the best that I can. So, so community is literally church, people coming together. And how often? As often as we can. The more time, the better. The, the more that we can come together, the better it is for, for each one of us as we learn and, are, and are, are, are shaped and molded by other people. The last verse, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're turning there, just to kind of cap off the last point, make a commitment to the church. Volunteer your time and your talents for the needs of the church. Do not demand that you want to do this or that or this or that. Say, Pastor, I just want to help. What, where, what do you need help with? And seek friendships and relationships with the people in the church here. That's why we make you shake hands. You ever wonder why you ever go to, like every church I've ever been to, you know, turn to the person beside you, shake their hand and tell them blah, blah, blah. It's because we're trying to get you to mingle a little bit. Say hi and not just be the people that sit at the end of the, end of the pew that we don't, you know, you don't know their names. Introduce yourself. I've had people come and say, well, I don't feel a sense of community. That's because you're standing way far away in a standoffish way, not being very welcoming. If you stand over here like this, not a lot of people are going to approach you. I don't know what it is, but that's just how it works out. And so if you want to be a part of the community, shake hands, ask names. How are you doing? Give hugs. That's a hard one for me, but I still do it. Seek and be friendly and loving and kind. As Jesus says, we will fill by the Holy Spirit and produce those things anyways. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Paul, in relating to us what the church is, doesn't say it's a building in a specific place on this planet. He says that the church is like the body of a human being. That in the same way that a body is made up of different parts, yet it's all connected, that's the body of Christ. That's the church. Church, we are all different, and that's a good thing. We all have different modes and style of dressing. We all have different types of vocabulary and words that we use. Some of us are young parents. Some of us are grandparents. Some of us have not had children. Some of us are yet to have children. Some of us are, are wealthy and affluent. Some of us are living paycheck to paycheck. Some of us work for ourselves some, and self-employed. Some of us are, are, are employees and have a W-2 at the end of the year. Blue collar, white collar, Republican, Democrat, PC, Apple. We're, we're all different, and that is good. 
Unity is what we desire, not uniformity. We don't all have to dress the same. We don't all have to watch the same television shows. We don't all have to listen to the same music. We don't all have to have the same haircuts. That's called a cult. And that's not what we are. Now, Jesus will change us. I, I feel like in the church there's this, um, this great danger of this, this come-as-you-are mentality. I believe that's a good thing. We should come as you are. I, anybody's free to come into these doors, young, old, black, white, uh, straight, gay. Anybody could come into these doors. But Jesus is going to change you. If there is something in your life that should not be, Jesus will confront you in that. And if it is something detrimental towards you, a loving God will only, only seek to change you from that. If you are destroying yourself with sin, he will convict you of your sin so that you might repent of your sin and forsake the old life and embrace the life for him. The, the, the body of Christ is like a literal body, that we're all different. But we're all connected. And what are we connected by? The Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus specifically said he was going to send the Holy Spirit so that we wouldn't be like orphans, but that we'd be infilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to get your mind around this because we take this for granted. We don't think about it. We, we just say it and, and, and we don't ponder it. Think for a moment that the very power, the very essence of who God is, his Spirit, as a Christian, as a believer, resides in you. The very power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is the same power that resides in you. So you might be saying, how do I become part of a community? How do I, how do I love people I don't love? How do I get to know people I don't know? You have the Holy Spirit to empower you to do that. Well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Some guy smacked me in the head once and said I had it, but I don't feel nothing except for a sore forehead. It's not about some external thing that makes you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes as we repent of our sins, confess our belief in Christ, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit manifests in you how he desires. So if you speak in tongues, awesome. If you don't, awesome. If you have the gift of encouragement, awesome. If you have the gift of discouragement, Keep seeking the gift of encouragement. If you have the gift of, of just loving people, celebrate that. And if that's not your gift, seek it. At the end of this, Paul will say, seek the higher gifts. Go after them. Ask God for them. The answer might be no. Your, your gift or ability is preaching or teaching, or your gift or ability is, is, is prophecy or something else. But nonetheless, seek them. Ask for them all. God, I want all of them. He'll say, well, here's some of them. But as you come together, you'll notice our graphic is, is, is a couple of puzzle pieces. All those puzzle pieces are different, but they fit together. And Christians, we're, we're a body that comes together. We fit together. Where, where I have a jagged edge, you have a jagged edge too, and they come together and they fit. And we become this representation of who Jesus is. We become this, this great mosaic picture of the living God. The Bible says that Jesus is the, the expression of God himself. We as the church, we don't do that individually. We do that collectively. We express Jesus most when we are gathered together. That's why we don't worship any one person. We don't have a, a, a holy man that we follow. We don't have a, 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 a spiritual guide or, a, or, or you know, some person with a long robe that we follow after. Each of us is on a level playing field to pursue the same God. But as we do that, we come together. And when we, when we shrink back, part of the picture is missing. When you, when you refuse, either out of fear, ignorance, whatever, to be that part that you've been called to be, a piece of the picture is missing. A, a part of the story is not told. Some of you struggle with just even feeling like I'm worth being part of the picture. On one hand, none of us are worthy of Jesus. Paul said, I, I, I'm the chief among sinners. 
That means I'm number, he said, I'm the number one sinner. I could teach a class on sinning. What makes us worthy or what gives us worth is not what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. And I'm here to tell you today, and, and I don't know, I just feel like there are some of you who really struggle with this. You are worth something to the Lord. He is willing, he was willing to give his son in your place. That means you have worth to him. You mean something to him. He looks at you and desires you. He doesn't desire to annihilate you. The Bible says he's long-suffering, not wanting any to die, to perish. He wants you to live in him. You have worth. And you might not feel it, but that's still the truth. Being a part of the body of Christ is a great blessing. And there's, there, there are folks, they come and tell me, well, I watch church on the TV. That's the same thing. No, it's not. It's great if that's all you have, like you're traveling or you're sick, and, and all you have is somebody on television that hopefully is not a weirdo who's telling you about Jesus. That's okay. And one day we hope to have a live video feed that broadcasts this on a Sunday morning so folks can actually be a part of the church you know, extended. But that's not the same when you make it your primary because you do miss the relation. You, you become a rogue Christian rather than a part of the body of Christ. By being a rogue Christian, you lose the accountability that comes from being a Christian. You know, if, I, if, we, if we are friends outside of these walls and you do something that causes me to question whether you should do that or not, and I don't get to judge you, I don't get to, I don't get to condemn you to hell, but I do get to question, hey, what gives? You, you tell me you're a Christian, but I see you stealing while you're working. Like, well, everybody does it. Yeah, but you're a Christian now, um, and, and Christians should not be doing that. And there's forgiveness and there's love, but, but you're doing something outside of what you should be doing. See, when you're a rogue Christian, you lose that, and that's why some people like being a rogue Christian or an individual Christian, because nobody tells them what they're doing is wrong if they're doing something wrong. Christians who are by themselves lose moldability. One of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and a man sharpens one another. I looked up a, a video on, on iron working on YouTube. I was going to bring it in, but I don't know how to do that. So... Um, uh, this man was taking railroad spikes and turning them into knives. It was super impressive. But you know what happened? He took this hunk of metal and he stuck it in the fire for like a long time and it came out glowing red. And then he took a hammer. Not some dinky little hammer you get from the dollar store, like a mallet. It was like, it was like Thor's hammer. He just starts, boom, boom. Sparks are flying and, and there's this big giant anvil like they dropped on Wiley Coyote's head when we were kids. And he's just banging on it and banging on it and clang, clang, and then it stops glowing because it's getting cold, back in the fire, pull it back out, super red, clang, and just molding it and shaping it, refining it. It was impressive. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, in the same way that iron is sharpened against more iron, that's what it's like sometimes when Christians come together. There could be a lot of sparks, a lot of heat, a lot of friction, but that is all used to shape and to mold us. The sparks are flying, but it's moving, it's taking off the rough edges we have as, as, as Christians. And that's a good thing. That's a desired effect. Yes, there's a lot of potential for danger and hurt feelings, but it's also how we grow. It's how God uses the body to help individuals. First Timothy chapter four, verse one says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. As a pastor, that's part of my job and calling. Not to be you know, a referee that just looks around and says, you should stop, you should start, you should not, you should. It's not so much that. It's when I'm, when I'm, when I'm invited into your lives that, that I have an obligation or a responsibility as a pastor, a shepherd, 
to make sure that if you're eating grass that's not good for you, that if you're drinking out of a dirty river, that I point that out to you and say, hey, there's a better river here. You're, this is the river of Jesus, and you're drinking out of something else. Please come over here, because if you keep drinking that one, it's going to be to your own detriment, and it's going to be more pain. It's going to make you sick. But come over, come over here to Jesus. Drink from him. Eat from him. The Bible says he is, he is real bread, real real drink to be consumed, that Jesus is the living water. But we it's not my exclusive duty. We can do that with one another. And some of us, we, we, we tend to shy away because while we might be okay with telling somebody else, it's when they come in and say, you know what you shouldn't be doing? That. And we're like, whoa, who are you? Matthew 7, don't judge. But maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And God uses us to, to have people speak into our lives and allow us to speak into other lives too. And it teaches us patience. It grows our relationships. Yeah, we might get hurt, but hopefully if you're seeking Jesus, you're understanding, I, don't want, I wish they hadn't done that, but they're right, and that just makes it worse. Oh, and I have to go back and repent to them and repent to you. And, oh. But your relationships grow. And community grows. But why? Why should you – why do you have to do these things? Why have community? Three reasons. We have community because Jesus. Jesus is shared and expressed not through one individual or one church, but by all of us collectively. If we hang our hat on just one individual, I, I, I guarantee you at some point they will disappoint you, and you will be devastated, and you will question everything. It's not that there's not one person out there to be trusted, but we have to understand that the church is filled with flawed people, that, that at any given time a person can have a wrong doctrine or theology, and it could, it could shape their entire ministry, and that might devastate us. If we don't put all of our eggs into their basket, we'll be able to say, you know what, I disagree with them on that, but I, but I know the one that I follow is Jesus, and we disagree on that issue, but I know what the truth says in the Word, I'm going to stick to that. You're not devastated. You might be disappointed. You might wish for something different, but you're not devastated because your eggs aren't all in their basket. Your, your eggs are in Jesus' basket. You're all in with him. And he's never going to disappoint you. He's never going to have a doctrine or something that changes or shifts to meet his fancy. It's all going to be what's already been said in his word. And it's concrete and it will continue till he says otherwise. We have community because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is whom Jesus has sent to unite us and bond us. He's like the glue of the church. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no church. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's just as much God as Jesus and the Father. He is, you have the Father who sends the Son. The Son, Jesus, dies for our sins. He's a crucified, buried, he's resurrected, he conquers sin and death, but then he ascends to heaven to send the Holy Spirit to us. That we might be convicted of our sins, corrected, that we might be empowered to do what he's called us to do. Anything from cleaning the church to, to, to preaching a sermon, to, to loving those who are unlovable, from, to give what we don't want to give, he empowers, to do those, empowers us to do those things. Becoming a Christian is more than just an affiliation. Becoming a Christian is more than just a building you go to on Sunday. Being a Christian is a complete transformation of who you are. You have yielded everything to the Lord to allow him to make you whom he wants you to be. Paul refers to it, the word he uses is, is, is our English word for metamorphosis. In the same way that the little fuzzy caterpillar turned into a beautiful butterfly, that series of metamorphosis, God takes the old changes it and makes it completely brand new have you ever heard this you know we're never moved by the guy who i went to church every day from you know every sunday my whole life and gave my tithe and uh read my bible and, and i prayed we never hear those stories you know the ones we hear i i used to you know run numbers for the mafia and i smuggled drugs across the border and i you know i went and i sold you know, 
chickens for cockfights and or roosters for cockfights. And then the Lord met me and my life was completely changed. Or I was, a, I was in a hotel room with multiple needles hanging out of my arms and I overdosed 15 times over and then I heard the voice of the Lord and I forsook all of that and he completely changed me. That's the, that's the, the stories where I was moved by. You know why? Because they're impressive. Because it's dramatic. Because that's something only the Lord can do. Only the Lord can take men and women who do these types of things and change them completely. To take musicians who were devoted to Satan and then convert them completely to the, so that they're devoted to Jesus. To take men and women who were bent on, on every sexual pleasure, celebrating it, endorsing it, participating in it, to meeting Jesus and forsaking it. There are ministry groups that specifically go and minister to actors and actresses in the adult film business. I praise God for that because somebody's got to save them, right? Somebody's got to infiltrate that foreign land. Somebody's got to go in there. And what better people than the people who were in it and got saved by Jesus and now go and preach and minister to these same people entrapped, enslaved by the porn industry. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. These people aren't doing this because they're great people. They're doing it because they have the Holy Spirit. That God has empowered them to do that. Why have community? Because people. Here's the tail end of that verse I just shared with you in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Commit yourself to preaching and teaching and exhorting and correcting. But why? Verse 3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You need to realize today that there are people who are bent on simply deceiving you. Whether they are deceived themselves and think they're preaching the truth, or they're deceived themselves, know that they are lying, but love the power and the adulation that comes along with it, they are out there to get you. Now, don't hide in a bunker. Don't board up your windows. Don't refuse to watch TV. But you need to seek discernment from the Lord to be able to identify the wolves in the sheep's clothing. This is so prevalent in my household that my seven-year-old well, here's something that I'm listening to intentionally because I know that it's wrong without telling him he'll come along and say, that's not right. Not because I've told him, but because I've simply preached to him the truth from an early age. He'll be able to look back and say, that's, that's not Jesus. That's not the Jesus that I know. This guy doesn't sound right, Dad. What's he talking about? And I'll tell him. He's wrong. Or he's filled with Satan. Because that's the truth. Without discernment, you know, won't know which is which. Some guys, 95% of what they say is great. And there's 5% that we can disagree on. It's open-handed stuff. That's okay. Some people just have their doctrine and theology about Jesus completely backwards. They turn. There are ministers that will stand on television and tell mothers that their children are dying because they lack faith. And that if you would just simply have more faith or sow a seed, then your child would live. That is, I don't even have a word strong enough for that. It's satanic, it's demonic, it's evil, and it's wrong. And that these men or women or groups have, have television time to preach that. That you have cancer because you did something wrong. Completely anti-biblical, satanic, and demonic. Paul doesn't tell Timothy, hide and be scared. He says, you devote yourself. You get in your word. You preach and you teach. You fulfill your ministry. Because there are people who are going to accumulate for themselves these types of teachers. They're going to want to hear that. These, these teachers are going to come and they're going to tickle their itching ears. And they're going to love it. But not you, Timothy. You. You be on your guard. You have discernment. Church, 
You need to know when someone's tickling your ears. You need to know when your ears are just itching. When you're just wanting to hear what you want to hear. Go back to the word. Go back to the truth. Weigh that against the, 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 the history of church teachers. Find reliable sources. Pray for discernment. Because there are people who want to take advantage of you in this way. <clears throat> Community is a wonderful gift. That, that God would bring this ragtag bunch of nobodies together, myself included, together to create something as great as his, to be a part of something that is his body, his church. What a privilege and an honor. What a responsibility. What a weight to, to welcome into our lives, to know that as we go, that we represent the church. You know how many times my driving has been corrected because I have a South Bay sticker on the back of my car? Because the last thing I want to do is have, you know, cut somebody off and then go, oh, yeah, and he goes to South Bay Chapel. He's real nice. He's a real Christian. I got to be like, oh, I better, like, follow the road. I better drive the speed limit and, you know, not run this person off the road while raising one finger to them. I better just, I better stick to this because I represent somebody greater than me. And the last thing I want to do is make you guys look bad. You know, if you've got a South Bay sticker and they see my South Bay sticker and I'm driving backwards on the freeway, they're going to be like, all those people at South Bay must be lunatics. I don't want that. And so it keeps me accountable because I'm a part of the community here at South Bay. If you feel like you're on the outside looking in, maybe that's because you're new. That's, that's to be expected. Anytime you go into a new community, there's that time of transition. But maybe you feel like you've been a part of this place for quite some time, but you're still on the outside. I want to pray for you. I want you to, to read these scriptures. If you've written them down, I hope that you have. Read them again later. Read them in their context. You know, read the, read the chapters before. Read the chapters after. A book like 1 Timothy is only five chapters or six chapters long. You can knock that out in about 20 minutes. See the proper context of what Timothy is saying. Go to Proverbs 27, 17. Read that. You know, go to Hebrews chapter 10, go to Acts chapter 2, read those scriptures in their context. Begin to ask the Lord, how can I be a part of this community? And I'll, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm just like you. Sometimes meeting new people is awkward for me. I can stand up here and preach to, to a multitude of people. I don't even care. But you get me one-on-one, -on -one and I'm all thumbs, and I'm all putting my foot in my mouth and saying dumb jokes. I make my wife turn red more often than not because I'm just I'm not as good individually as I am with a group. But my desire is to be a part of this community, so I, I push myself in that way. And I want to encourage you to do the same, to seek the Lord. Not necessarily seek the community. Seek the Lord that he might graft you into the community. South Bay Chapel is not an exclusive club that you have to earn a place in it. You simply... Have to have a desire for us because we have a desire for you. Because we love Jesus and Jesus loves you too. So let's pray. And then we'll have a few minutes of Q&A, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the community you've brought about here at South Bay. We're not the biggest church in town. Uh, there's churches with longer histories. There's churches with bigger congregations. But Lord, you filled us with a church full of people who just love you. I thank you, Lord, that there are, there are those of us who, who have been here for a long time, those who have been here for a short time. We come from all different backgrounds and stages in life. And I thank you, Lord, for bringing together this group, that you are making us your body. I thank you for the privilege and the honor to be a part of what you are doing globally, that we, we stand as a part of 2,000 years of history of men and women and groups that you've brought together that we belong to the church that is universal. We belong to the church that, that transcends borders, that transcends nationalities and languages, that we belong to your body. It's so much bigger than us, but that we get to be a part of it. And for those today, Lord, who are, who are <clears throat> struggling with becoming a part of the body here, Lord, I just want to pray for them. I want to pray for us that maybe, maybe they see us on the inside. Well, we, want to, we want to embrace, Lord. For those who feel like they're on the outside, that they would feel welcomed by us. That you would help us to grow relationships outside of this church. That you would help us to, to commit ourselves to this church in the times that the doors are open. 
that when there's when there's an appeal to you know give gifts to kids or to bring in turkeys or to give to the troops or to raise money for pediatric cancer or to 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 do whatever is needed as as needs come up lord that as a community collectively we come together that we wouldn't worship community but that we we'd embrace it and celebrate it and 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 see it as the gift you've given it, given to us this this blood bought gift by Jesus and Lord, may our community only be through him and for him and about Jesus. May our, may our group not be because we love the same sports team or we all like the same type of food or we all vote for the same type of politicians or we, you know, we all, we're all the same station in life. Lord, may, may we come together because we love you. Correct us, rebuke us, refine us that, that, like those puzzle pieces, we come together and we fit, Lord. Jesus, we love you. As we go into questions and answers, I pray for your, your wisdom and guidance for all of us, that as we have questions, that these questions would be answered. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.